0: Get um, why humans matter at all. It seems that the the development of absolute spirit is about absolute spirit, and all of this movement is about the manifestation and self realization of absolute spirit, of which we're just kind of byproducts. So I don't understand, I mean, and I'd be fine with the fact that humans don't matter, right? Like that. I don't think that the, hum- the humans do need to matter, but there does seem to be. It doesn't often seem to be explicit, but it does seem to be this implication that the mechanisms that drive absolute spirit also just so happen to drive humans, and I don't know why. I don't know why there is this mimetic or mirrored process process that would say that okay, this thing that is happening at the level of God, at the, uh, um, that is also just so happens to be running at a smaller level with us. And, and there are oftentimes, you know, um, I think this is at the bottom of twenty eight. So, like the last two or three sentences of twenty-eight. So, this is at the bottom of sixteen here. So, this past existence um, is the already acquired property of universal spirit, which constitutes the substance of the individual, and hence appears externally to him uh, it as his inorganic nature. In this respect, formative education, regarded from the side of the individual, consists in his acquiring what thus lies at hand, devouring his inorganic nature, and taking possession for it for himself but regarded from the side of universal spirit as substance this is nothing but its own acquisition of self-consciousness the bringing about of its own becoming and reflection into itself I, i i don't see the relation i don't understand the relationship between the two I don't understand why any of this matters for humans. I kind of agree with the
1: underlying tone of your question here. Um, I, I would just frame it a little bit differently, which is a massive privileging of human consciousness as the index of spirit.
0: Well, that was my other question, is why is subjectivity presumed as the er rather than understand subjectivity as one kind of motive, modality of being among others? But it seems the subjectivity has to be presumed as the thing, and it is the totalizing thing of God. But sorry, I cut you off.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I would say that the short answer to that question is humanism the long answer is on 18 where he talks or uh, sorry on in chap paragraph 32 where he says um, the activity of dissolution is the power and work of the understanding the most astonishing and mightiest power or rather the absolute power right like that that um, but but a, a, a different way in other words humans possess understanding which presumably nothing else possesses which is exactly why they're the necessary and essential vehicle for, for speech. Um, I I also think, though, in in relation to that, the last sentence that you read sort of answers the question, because what humans possess is the capacity for self-consciousness, and so in order for spirit to become conscious of itself, it needs human understanding to do that. Um, so human understanding is this sort of vehicle you clearly have I mean I, I think it's the, the pages that we read this time I think it's very hard not to have just a totally transcendental read of this you know um, I mean I think that there are places and ways that one can complicate that so I'm not refuting you know whether it's Zizek or Malibu's readings but in terms of this chunk it's it does spirit is this kind of quasi independent force operating on its own it's kind of using individual. When we get to the question of the individual versus spirit, uh, which which he's dealing with there, the individual is just kind of a, what, epiphenomena, you know, and, and and clearly most individuals aren't along the way. I mean, most individuals are sort of retarded in their progress to spirit. Spirit has advanced past most actual, what we would call actual in
2: individuals. So, I mean, that, that's the short answer, I think. The, this chunk i completely agree is like probably the least appealing for me that we've that we've gone through cuz it doesn't really vibe with the the malibu reading especially Espe- particularly all this stuff about like progress and cultural formation and the necessity of that and just the the kind of clear um obvious inescapable teleological language that's scattered throughout all this now of course my reading is he'll come to these uh not synthesis, but complicating points throughout where it's like, oh, you could still attach to that throughout here, but you can't ignore the drive to transcendence, especially from 23 to 33 here. And yeah, the, the little bit that you pointed out, I mean, he's, he's really celebrating the power of the understanding here, which is just that basic scientific categorizing impulse where you just understand and appropriate the world. So he's, he's fully celebrating that here, that, that kind of totalizing appropriative force.
1: Although he's going to complicate, I mean, he'll complicate that towards the end of the chunk, you know, where he says, "Look, it's not that—that's not enough." In fact, you have to sort of defamiliarize, right, from the from the familiar functions of consciousness. But nevertheless, it's still consciousness, whether yeah. it's at the level of fact or at the level of perception. It's still, human consciousness is the thing that is the vehicle for spirit's progress. Without human consciousness, spirit would have no place. So that's—that's that's what I mean. It's just—it's a pretty straight. Straightforward enlightenment Narrative That you get here Yeah
2: Well I mean I, I get it's all, I mean it's the Phenomenology As well I mean it's a Phenomenological account Of the world It's not claiming To be Or it's not trying To do what People like Spinoza Are doing Right I mean it's not Trying to be Materialist in that sense So it, for Hegel Consciousness has to be Schematized In this way For there to be Like whatever This kind of Uh rigorous philosophy of of the world, of how we interface with the world. I think for someone like Hegel and then particularly people that take him up, consciousness has to be primary, not because you elevate it because it's this amazing thing, but precisely because of what it lacks. You know, I I didn't fully articulate that as well as I could, but I I, I get why, like, you you guys are hesitating, like, why is the human um, centered here? But for the dialectic to work... Just even to function at sort of a general capacity, it has to be centered around consciousness, doesn't it? I mean... Well, the con- failures con- of
1: consciousness, contradiction. Yeah, I mean, whether yeah. it's failure, or success doesn't matter. It's right, right. It, right. It, it requires. I mean, a logic of identity, the the law of the excluded middle, like the whole apparatus uh, of logic uh, is is necessary here. And look, I mean, I still think you can say the same things, which is that he goes further because it's always a process of development. It's never it's never something that can be encapsulated encapsulated in a proposition. That it's always a question of development, but that development does. Does seem to be driven by this transcendent force called spirit that i think it's not unfair to ask the question what why humans are are necessary even though i do think that the answer is because they're the ones that are presumed to have the capacity for consciousness and hence self-consciousness you know they can shift the in to the for you know the in itself to the for itself whereas no other no other entity
0: a living entity can do that. Like the, the two questions are related, but I kind of also want to highlight the important distinction as well. Like, the first question is, is why conscious, why like, why begin from the premise that the all is one unified and unified consciousness, right, or the becoming conscious of the one or of the whole, which we're going to call God, right? So, like, why begin from from there? And, and, you know, this is actually, this one's more specifically related to a paragraph, uh, and I think it was 23 three. the very first one that we read um, where he's talking about the God and the needing to add the predicate to the God and it's like, you know, God is just a meaningless sound until you add something else to it that starts to um, give it um shape and form but then you obviously have to ask like, why not just be like the ancients and start talking about just drop the meaningless word and start talking about notions like being in the one and his response is just like well obviously because when you put the subjective like when you you, um, make these uh, concepts like being and and um, and love and everything else, not pure abstract concepts, and you make them predicates of a subject, then it can be the sort of unfolding of, of self-realization. But that just seems incredibly tautological to me, is I, I don't understand why you need to start with s- the subject and self-reflection to begin with. Like, Why is that to... Um lacking a better word, why is that the onto theological starting point that 's one question, and then the other question is like let 's presume that you know, we come up with a satisfactory answer to that first one. And we're like, oh, yeah, obviously, you know, we have to start with subject and blah, 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 blah. Then it becomes, why do humans matter to that process? And I, I, like, I, I get what you're saying, John, that, well, humans just so happen to have understanding and thereby were the vehicle through which this process happens. But why would we assume that, given, I think you're right, given the way that humans are... Functionally epiphenomenon, and he's constantly sort of like, um, Differing between the knowledge that is the movement of absolute spirit and the process of development of individual of individuals which they don't seem to be the same thing at all to me, like given the fact that there is a difference between human understanding and understanding qua understanding, why would we ever presume that one is the um, is the the vehicle for the other like why does um my becoming self-reflective of something in some way mirror or allow for a a like God to become conscious of itself. And was did God have zero self-consciousness before humans, you know, arrived on the scene? You know, like that's that's the other thing is how do humans? happened to begin with unless and, and I don't want to make this too much of a natural history but like is for someone who's a thinker of movement and evolution and right like
1: where do humans come from but I think that is the that's the almost just explicit theology here which is it's not that humans just happen to have consciousness humans are the beings granted consciousness as a way of apprehending and advancing uh, God/ spirit like right? that that's that's what they're there for so that you have that very you know 18th 19th century theology which is like human destiny is the fulfillment and realization of of theological consciousness like that's what it is um and so it's not an attribute that happens to fall to to these animals as we think but
2: it's also i mean to provisionally answer your first question nathaniel a little bit at least. I mean, the reason that subjectivity comes first here is like you're saying, it could be attributed from God, but it's not a choice. It's a compulsion and a tendency for humans that is, whatever you wanna call it, inescapable. So here on 24, he says, it's only as a science or as a system that knowing is actual and can be given an exposition. And you say, well, why? Why does science have to be a system for anything to be actual? Why do we have to systematize the world Um, Why is that the movement that Hegel's privileging here? And it's because you can't get out of that movement of systematization for him. So the kind of the anti-philosophical orientation, whether you attribute that to to Nietzsche to some extent, maybe Lacan, where they're trying to get outside of that, right? That impulse to systematize. That's the bad thing to an extent. For Hegel, it's like you you don't get away from that. So at a very at a structural level the subject subjectivity is an attempt to systematize
0: that I completely understand, and I, I understand, you know, the, the very human drive. I think, you know, Nietzsche attends to this as well. It's like the the drive to lie to oneself, to systematize and create equivalencies between things because it allows – it enables our survival, right? And then you could also say that you know, no system is ever going to be able to carve up the world without remainder. So there, now you're going to be able to talk about failure as well, right? Or it's the movement to be able to talk about failure is much easier there than I think it normally is. But that's not the subject. I understand, you know, once you start with subjectivity, once you start with power relationships that render one being subject to another one and sort of like start categorizing and systematizing the world that creates that auto subjects as well. I understand that movement. I understand why. I don't understand why you have to start with subjects there, but I understand why subjectivity is unavoidable. But I'm talking about a... a, But when you're talking about absolute spirit, it sounds like you're talking about something ontologically prior to human subjectivity, right? Like, God seems to... You know, humans. Even if humans become the sort of designated vehicle through which you know God realizes Himself, it doesn't have to be humans, and God can get along without humans just fine. My question is, why do we start with all that is in this theological principle, right? And I think maybe, like, I mean, and obviously, you know, just you could just say, well, it's theology, right? But he was Lutheran, he like he he has to begin with God, right? And this whole thing is actually really quite onto theological, in, in which, if that's the answer, then I'm curious more, like, how do the more interesting reads of Hegel, like Malibu and, and Zizek, deal with
2: that? Malibu has stuff on this, I know, just, I haven't
0: read it, but I found she, the chunk.
2: She definitely treats it... I mean, I would have to go back to them, because this is something that I've sort of bracketed in my own uh, dealing with Hegel so far, and even dealing with Zizek and Malibu, because it's, it's obviously a complicated question. I don't think anybody... Has truly dealt with that in a satisfying way At least from what I remember uh, reading their text You either get, you know, the kind of standard traditionalist reading of Hegel Which kind of just reifies some of those points and accepts them, right? Like even celebrates the, the God portion of Hegel Or you get Malibu and Zizek who are almost singularly focused on contingency and how that unravels the God figure. So, right, I mean, that's,
1: well, that's like the, an, you get an anthropological Exactly. Rather than a, the, rather than a theological Exactly. Angle. And I,
2: I clearly trend towards the, the anthropological one just because it, uh, you know, uh, trends towards it's my, more interesting. yeah, it's more interesting. It's, it vibes with my sensibility more, but your question is completely viable. I mean, it's not really one that I've like reckoned with at a, at a serious level yet. I've kind of just been like, well, there is God. I don't really like that. (laughs) You know?
0: Well, I mean, I think it would be easy and productive to bracket a lot of it, right? Because I've I, I, you know, I've said this a few times. I think a lot of this, especially that second layer of sort of like progressive, you know, the, the progressivity of the movement of spirit and it's sort of like overarching telos that isn't self-posited, but that – well, it's self-posited as just sort of the, the being of God, right? Like I think so much of that could be easily lapped off the top and if you do that, then it's like all this other stuff is interesting, right? Right. All the other stuff becomes much more interesting if you are just able to sub- subtract God from it.
1: I think that you can do it. I think that you can link them. Like, I, I don't think I've seen an indication that there is spirit other than, like, <laughs> removed from um, human consciousness, which, which is to say, I don't, I don't get a sense here so far that there was first spirit, and then, you know, and then con- because the, the necessity of conscious of human consciousness to progress is the necessity of spirit to progress. Um, and now that doesn't mean that every individual human does it. In fact, most of them don't. Right. Like most of them are the sort of dead ends along the path. But there are some, you know, that are pushing, thinking uh, uh, an understanding further and that is the evolution that's what spirit wants, right, that's what drive. and spirit in this sense as that which animates subjectivity itself right, it's not, it, it's certainly not external, I mean even if it's transcendent it's not external so it is the animating force of, of subjectivity A- and I don't think there's anything to be- any reason to believe it's anything other than
2: that right well, it can't be totally external. I mean, we've talked about the movement of internalization and that, that dialectic. But what you just said makes me think he's much closer to Spinoza. Maybe even in an explicit way, he's drawing from Spinoza there where God is completely imminent, right, to the material like manifestation of, of human being, of, of subjectivity. God is there at an imminent level. I mean, what you just said sort of sounded like that. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not, he's not above in heaven directing our movement. It's it's definitely not, it's yeah. not
1: that. I don't, I, I don't think it is that. I, I think it is. I don't, I still don't, I don't think it's Spinoza insofar as spirit wants something, right? Like spirit is, is directed. It is, it, it wants its own overcoming and its own becoming self-conscious of, it, of its moments, and the problem, of course, is for the individuals, but the individuals are completely necessary components to, uh, to spirit's self, you know, self-realization. So our goal, our purpose in life is to realize spirit's you know, a- a- absoluteness. Um, we're always gonna fail to do that. I mean, we're like any particular individual will of necessity fail to do that, but humanity as a whole won't fail to do that. Um, because that's what its purpose is. So
0: that makes it much more interesting because you could, you could make that – if you wanted to go theological, then you would have to – you would probably say something more like the human is imminent to God, like is the sort of – you know like, they, like really the human is nothing other than a moment of the self alienation of God. I was – no, you're quite
1: right. I was thinking that on the section on analysis – where he talks about cut, you know, cutting up the principle into smaller parts, right? I was like, you could imagine a story that goes like this. First, there is spirit, and spirit analyzes itself, meaning it cuts itself up into its moments, and one of them is called humans, right? Uh, one of those sort of analytic moments that then has an engine of its own, right? Like, I mean, you could tell the story if you wanted to have spirit sort of... Pre
0: exist. So you could run it that way, or if you wanted to go the more anthropological way, you could say that human consciousness, human um, capacity to think and understanding sort of emerges from human activity and then then posits its own telos that, you know, is this what we call? the capacity of human thinking, which, you know, that would be, you know, one, that could be a contingent development within a much wider array of happening. Um, two, it would, it would explain why there are so many dead ends, because some kinds of thinking are going to kind of propel self-consciousness and other ones aren't. Right. And it would also explain why there are subjects, because thinking is predicated on the emergence of power relations that, that, that make... One thing subject
2: to another, Ir- irresolvable relations. Right, that that's what drives the the movement of systematis- systematization. Like for in Žižek's language, you could pr- you, you could probably say that like the function of God is a crack in the edifice of subjectivity, where the the inability to appropriate um, creates that compulsion, right? It's that constant folding process where the inconsistencies of conceptuality of, of thinking, um, leads, that's the drive, right? Uh, to conceptualize and it's so God,
0: both as sort of the ineffable and the, um, and the, and the desire God is pure desire and ineffability.
1: I mean the question. The question we're asking here is what starts the negative going, and uh, is it some is is it some anthropological component, or is it some transcendent theological component, or is it, of course, you know, a synthesis uh, uh, of the two? Is it some sort of merger, you know? And I do. I mean, it is my sense. Like, I I still think it's clearly transcendent, um, but I don't think it's external. You know, it is it is irreducible to the particular individuals, you know, but it is not greater than that either. Or at least there's no reason to believe that there is some sort of like more capacity. Spirit is not more advanced than human consciousness, for instance, but human consciousness here means the totality of the movement of all human consciousness. It doesn't mean my consciousness, your consciousness, right? Like, so so again, it actually is very predicated on a fairly discrete sense of individuality that's only linked through the theological. That, that's to me where the Nietzschean-Deleuzian lineage is, is way more interesting in that regard, because if there's a transcendence of the virtual, it's a very different sense of connection among consciousness than like you know relatively static. They're, I mean, rel- they're not static, obviously. But relatively dis- discrete, yeah, and homogenous I- individuals.
0: Yeah, but it yeah. does make it. I mean, one, it makes that sort of appropriation monster a little bit less scary um, because it, it localizes this phenomenon. Because I, I mean, you know, the the way that he writes and the way that I've been imagining this as the as the sort of like universalizing at an ontological level, like all is this. Right And running through this much more anthropological um, uh, lens or this line allows it this allows this little mini appropriation monster, which isn't mini. I mean, it's all of human consciousness, but in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty tiny um, to sort of like churn out and only relate to otherness through. uh, You know, appropriation, appropriation, and uh, alienation. You don't start with. I agree with you, right? But then you don't. But then you don't get to start. Like when you say starting with the whole isn't this is this is just like not Spinoza, right? This is not Spinoza. This is not Deleuze. You have to start with something that thinks of itself as a whole, and that is human consciousness that really is within this much larger heterogeneous matrix, right?
2: Yeah. Well, there's where I mean. To sort out the way I've been sorting it out in my head is like that's where it's useful to think of Hegel as symptomatic of his own of, of the dialectic rather than being like the master of it, um, because the the your guys are right that the totalizing impulses runs all throughout the 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 drive towards transcendence is there, but thinking of him as as symptomatic of that movement rather than being on top of it gives me a little better, r- right I don't know just. That kind of diagnostic uh, reading of Hegel, rather than just like putting him up as the as the, the one who figured out the way the world works, um, to me is a little more useful.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and I get I get it from I mean, again, from an anthropological standpoint. But I, I'm always going to say, and I think the same thing about psychoanalysis. It's just inevitably going to remain an idealist philosophy. It can't not you know, there's there's just no way for it to really take materiality, a constitutive element, or to say something like, you know, the, the Nietzsche quote from last time, which is the bo- the consciousness hasn't caught up to the body. Like, that's just an impossible, impossible thought for uh, this, you know, something that starts with consciousness as the engine. It just can't ever get there, because materiality is always going to be, what's the thing that enables consciousness? It's, it's like, I mean, you know, we we have that today in the life sciences. It's like, what are the material configurations that allow for the emergence of consciousness? In other words, materiality is thought as the substrate condition of possibility for this higher, higher thing. It's never the other way around, right? Like, and, it's, and it's never consciousness simply as an epiphenomena of materiality, right? It's, it's always like a kind of telos of, of materiality. But I think there's much much better reason, at least to me, to believe that consciousness is literally one attribute among others You know, and I mean, that's where the Nietzsche truth and lies, the beginning of the truth and lies essay of like, man, we take this knowledge thing so fucking seriously as if it's the pinnacle of all things. But it's just a survival mechanism for a particular kind of animal, you know. And so we don't we don't ask you wouldn't ask the question of like, what is the origin of claws, right? Like, because claws or fangs or, you know what I mean? Like, because we just don't see that as a pinnacle, but consciousness, what are the material conditions that enable, con- we ask questions like that, even today, all the time, you know, that the whole emergent consciousness, macharena and varela thing is all about that. And, and that's the edgy, cool stuff, you know, but it still thinks materiality is the condition of possibility for this kind of H-
2: higher thing. That's basically Barad. I mean, she she wouldn't flat out say that, but that is kind of the movement of that system. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just think flattening it. Like you're right. You shouldn't raise it up as this like the best thing about us or about the world but flattening it out doesn't is not useful for me either like where it's just Depends everything what we mean by flattening like, though
1: i mean it doesn't mean homogenizing but
2: like, yeah you,
0: you can't but, think of it as reducing but where it's
2: all in the same ontological plane like just a force among forces right i mean i get i, I do get the appeal of that I, I just for at least for my project it's like that's almost unthinkable just because of Like, it's okay, maybe we'll put consciousness below everything else. I still need it somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, I, I need to put it somewhere rather than... If you have a
0: flat plane, then it's to the left or to the right, right? It's not above or below, but it it, it attaches... It, it does this very unique kind of thing, and it attaches yeah. to these things and doesn't particularly attach well to these other things, but the, its particular attachments do really unique things. So it would be never to redo... It's like consciousness is are not claws, right? Yeah, they do course. very different things. I mean, if you generalize to a certain point, like, yeah, they're both survival mechanisms, Mechanisms, but what right. they enable bodies to do and the kinds of life that they allow for are very, very different. I think it's crucial when, to say
1: when putting something on a flat plane is not, even though it's often taken, as, as you just did, it's often taken as a homogenizing impulse. To me, it is the quintessential differentiating impulse is to say these things are different Um, That's what putting them on a flat plane does Whereas the hierarchical version Of it, uh, what that does is it creates Two kind of fundamentally different planes And there's no way of seeing those two planes As not inferior or superior versions Of one another, that putting it On a flat plane is the way of attending To difference, it is not the erasure And and, in all fairness I know plenty of people, for instance An equivalent sort of move in the field of rhetoric Is the saying of everything is rhetoric Uh, You know, everything Everything is rhetoric or everything is rhetorical, however it's often said, is a way of oftentimes of homogenating of homogenizing all things and to say, well, they're basically the same kind of thing. Whereas to me, and I, I and mean, I've written about this too and said like Look, it's absolutely crucial that the claim that everything is rhetorical
0: be the starting point of an inquiry, not the end point. The proposition that says, discipline X, that just so happens to be my discipline, everything is that thing, right? Everything is economics, everything is political, everything is rhetorical, everything is... And, you know, I imagine that you can have these same kinds of arguments. I don't know the specifics of them, but that we've had about, you know, big and small-town rhetoric. But, like, I don't think it's all that difficult to see them as non- mutually exclusive. In other words, economics is rhetorical and rhetoric is economical, right? And what that all that really does is allows you to rethink um uh int- you get to remake rhetoric in interesting ways by attending to certain economic forces, right? That you would say if you're going to do it as you say John to say to, to figure out the the differentiations would remake the way that we think of rhetoric and also, in fact, and remake the way that we think of economics. If you do it really thoughtfully, I, I do think that is the premise behind
1: uh, something something into which I totally buy at this stage of my thinking is, is uh, the move towards moni- a kind of monism, you know, uh, in its various uh, incarnations. But the, the move, the reason for going to the univocity of being, let's say, Duns Scotus, you know. Um, The the move for that Those sort of monist thinkings Is precisely because That's the only way of differentiating among things That if you have a sense of a dualism You know uh, Transcendence, eminence I mean all of our conceptual coordinates What that It can't but Create a uh, A a hierarchy Such that each thing is seen as an inferior Superior version of the You know like uh, uh, So you know Enter deconstruction and all of the moves that it makes. So for for Derrida, the monism is different, iteration. Depends on the thing that you're reading, but it's 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 all monistic, and that's the the impetus behind it is to show the differentiating force of beginning with a monist uh, mm-hmm. thinking. But you could yeah. read
2: Hegel that way too, if you wanted to. You know, like spirit. Like we were just saying. I mean, if God is not in the sky, then he's with us all the time I mean that is a version of monism it's you you self but it depends self differentiate
1: it depends on how he's with us though I mean that that's that's where it depends yeah I mean you certainly can and I don't get the sense that it's a God in the sky I do get a sense that it's this you know interior innervating force uh, nevertheless I also do do still get the sense that s- spirit somehow so for instance I mean this is a a response to the uh to your earlier point about Hegel not seeing Hegel as the pinnacle of the thing. But given given the thinking here, I see why Hegel thinks he's the pinnacle of the thing. It makes total sense, right? If if in particular instances human individuals become more self-conscious than other humans, that's the development of spirit, that's the advancement of spirit, and those are the sort of people who are doing the yeoman's work of spirit. So in that sense, spirit is still transcendent. because Not because it's separate from and up in some god heaven, but because it wants something that's different from individual consciousness. Individual consciousness, right? Like that there is a sense of a telos of spirit to progress. And in, insofar as that's the case, then it still maintains a kind of transcendence, not the transcendence of the god up in the sky, but a kind of transcendence in relation to its particular...
0: Uh, moments. So let's yeah. like, let's think that through like Ducey and Delusian appropriation for a moment. And, you know, like a a thing doesn't reveal what it is until it's been taken or takes something else. And so, you know, like imagine force A appropriating force B with a purpose, for, like with the desire of, of, of expressing itself through that other thing. So imagine this thing that we're going to call consciousness. Let's, so you not like call it just human consciousness let's call some kind of will toward thinking or will of analysis or whatever else and it takes hold of the human body or the human brain or whatever else it is and expresses itself through it and I mean and now we have to subtract some kind of transcendental unity from it that is going to arrive at a predetermined place unless if you want to say that like you know the um, the kinds of conditions of development are in some ways contained within the particular intersection between the human and, and consciousness that takes over it. And you're going to have to, like, this is where consciousness is really going to have to be weird here, because it's going to be hard to talk about consciousness independent of a thing, like consciousness, pure consciousness. You know, I don't know how to describe that just as a force. That's a way of thinking hierarchical relationships um, or transcendent relationships on a flat plane, where it's like on a flat plane, two things encounter. one takes over the other, creates a hierarchical relationship that now is going to create a particular line of flight that you could almost even say that given you know the the velocity and direction and weight
2: of the intersection, you could if you call that it's telos. Well why not yeah you're I mean why not performative hierarchies? Doesn't that kind of solve the issue? I mean, it does for me. Like, why Why do we have to get rid of the the terms and the oppositions, the binaries? I'm not—this is not directed at Deleuze or, or Nietzsche or you guys, but the—I would say there's, like, a version that's one step lagging behind that that kind of controls a lot of thinking. The Barat. The Barat is the perfect example of this, or other kind of versions of uh, ecological thinking, empiricist thinking, where— the, the desire is to flatten oppositions and have materiality, ecology, be the kind of driving, vibrant force. Um, and that, that's what ends up getting privileged at the expense of whatever. So to me, the, the flattening of the opposition in Barad, not in Deleuze or whatever, that's just as naive as like, well, not, it's potentially just as naive as like a full-throated investment in the subject-object opposition.
1: I don't think materialism solves the problem, right? Like, I think materialism, I mean, I think that's what you're saying. Like, materialism introduces its, its own uh, uh, difficulties, and what materialism has to seek to do, or has to figure out how to do, is to think itself uh, in a non-reductive sense of materiality. And, and that's, so I, I see that impulse in Barad, but I also, I mean, I agree with you. I see another kind of impulse in, maybe in Barad, but certainly in the eco folks that want to say, well, materiality is the, it's the baseline, right? And, um, and, so, and I, I'm equally as averse to those, to those things because those are just as, I mean, materiality as your uh, monism, you know, as the sort of baseline thing, it can be just as reductive as idealism is. Because it then becomes, I mean, the argument would be something like, that's what the sciences are, right? The sciences are a monism of reductive materiality. Everything is explainable by physico-chemical uh, um, responses. So that, to me, that's just the flip side of saying everything is explainable as consciousness reflecting upon itself, right? But Both of those, I mean, the point would be neither one of the positions buys you out in that regard. So that's where why monism, or, or the thinking of monism, is difficult, you know, if it weren't. I mean, you know, so, so the, there's the ways in which, and it's not even that, uh, you know, dualisms are bad, or are, they are, I mean, I, th- I think of it in the, in the Thousand Plateaus terminology, is that dualisms are the entirely necessary components that are s- uh, constantly being rearranged to induce different kinds of monist multiplicities. You know, and, and so that's where, from this perspective, you would read someone like Hegel as a symptom of, of that kind of impulse towards multiplicity that's being canalized through, through the dualisms and the contradictions and the appropriate and the appropriation machine. Because I think that if you say what you said, the performative, could you have the performative things? Yeah, you could, and then it becomes, as I think it always is, an ethical question, which is, what are the dangers of doing it that way? And they're big, right? They are, let's feed the appropriation machine.
0: Right. So, I mean, I think that's why, you know, I, I think s- some of the worry about flattening things out is that you get rid of a lot of the vitality because you get rid of oppositions, you get rid of dualities, you get rid of hierarchies. And I, I, I think that that's precisely why Deleuze turns to the flat. Ontology, because he thinks that that's the only place where these kinds of things you can have (laughs) aggression without resentment. Yeah, where like dualities actually can do their work, right? Because when duality gets posited as a sort of um, uh, difference in kind, that there is a kind of a natural relationship between the two that stands outside of the flat plane. They're they're on different plane. They are on different planes from each other. Then that becomes very. static or if you want to take it from the self-conscious level like you create the hierarchy so that they can be then sublated. but if they but if this happens on um uh on a flat playing then there's no like dualities are much more interestingly relative meaning that like anything can become in a dual relationship with anything else right? Uh, you know, not even just that, well, it could have been the case like, you know, if you, if it, I'm thinking of Nietzsche on, on gender, right? And, you know, in some ways you could say that, you know, this thing that becomes what we call man becomes what we call man by taking and appropriating what we come to call woman, which now creates a line of flight for both of them to develop, right? And to, strike, to talk about the contingency of that, we could say it very well could have been the case that woman takes Man as its object, and we have a whole different set of of binaries and values that spin out of that but like wouldn't if, if you're going to take the multiplicity seriously it doesn't have it's not, it doesn't have to be man or woman right like that those terms only even come into effect because of a a particular um, uh, relationship If that relationship were different we would have just a completely different topology right like there's nothing necessary about man and woman being related to each other other than the fact that contingently speaking they were and genesis these terms man woman, and the whole value system that spins out of them
1: yeah i mean in that case dualism is just a particular configuration of multiplicity that human consciousness uses So Hegel is a symptom. I should have just said that. But I know, but I mean, and and your example is a particularly good one insofar as we're now living in, in a historical moment in which that, particular binary, you know, you still have, you know, non-binary, you're starting to have these things appear on, you know, official forms and whatnot, and so the, the, it's the beginning, and the, the backlash reaction against it is like, well, that's just fucking insanity, everything's going to go to shit if you can't distinguish between men and women, and, but, but it's a symptom of a commitment to, we must have a dualist binary starting point as opposed to saying no we don't have i mean for humans we have had to and but again for humans and for human consciousness that's just a particular way in which multiplicity has has played itself out
2: the stringency of that heteronormativity which may have been even more pressing or intense like you know a couple of decades ago that gave way for I mean, why? Maybe because of its intensity, not because of, like, uh, any kind of intention or choice. Like, that's why, I mean, not to, I don't, but, like, you don't have to be, You right, you don't have, but you don't have to be anti-Oedipus. I mean, Oedipus will dissolve on his own. He kind of already, you know what I mean? It's It's doing that. Uh, In today's culture
1: Well Or or it won't That's where I said That's where it becomes An ethical question Mm -hmm. Right Like I mean Maybe it will Maybe it won't I mean who knows But I mean It is a question Of how do you live Right So given that That sort of Dualist paradigm I mean I I agree with you It's certainly not a choice Mm -hmm. and, And nor is it an obligation Or a responsibility But neither is it nothing Right you know, so it, it, it's not irrelevant that a whole bunch of people say, you know what, I'm fucking non-binary like that, that produces an alteration in the thinking of the or not just the thinking, yeah. the experience, you know, even even broader of moving around.
2: In well, and world, not not to get you know, all libertarian on fuck. us either, but like, <laughs> you know, the 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 fucking like, you know, obviously uh increase progress and the proliferation of these various identity groups, sexual orientations, like, that's produced a lot of good things, and it's made people literally safer in the world. Um, So those are, like, clear, practical good results, but you can see sort of obviously the way that all of these micro-identities get codified into camps, and it just becomes another version of it's the biopower dynamic for Foucault. It's like, right, yeah, so it's like I mean, it's clearly not all good or bad, or or you can't frame it in those terms. It never is.
1: It's never, it's never, like, I mean, I think Butler on the transgender question is really, is really good on this, which is, look, you know, we have problems with the normalizing function of medicalization, and at the same time, that's how someone can get the insurance money to get the surgery that will save their life. So, what do you do, right? Like, um, and so there isn't, there isn't a good choice, and there isn't a, and there isn't a bad choice. And I, I don't think that's the, I don't think it's a I mean, I don't think certainly here, I mean, actually here there's more moralism You know, there's more more of a moralism towards increasing self consciousness than you're going to find in Nietzsche or Deleuze. You know, um, and, and so oh, that's yeah. where, to yeah. me, interestingly enough, given your orientation, it would seem like <laughs> like the the non moralizing positions where the it's not non moralizing, but the the sort of rigorous attempts to problematize moralism that ain't this.
2: You know, this seems to be. Here's like I think I've hit on this several times. It's it's the Right, you're saying, like, well, we'll read Hegel as being symptomatic, and that's the key for me. It's that everyone, to a certain extent, is symptomatic and has their own in- implicit moralisms. It's when someone like Barad claims not to be professing a moralism, yeah. where it's like, Hegel's clearly yeah. doing that. I mean, he's up front. I mean, this is what's good. The self-consciousness, we need to fucking keep marching forward. To Like, that's not something I would, like just endorse uncritically it's that's the sinister part of Hegel that I'm trying to wring out of other people that they don't see that that mm-hmm. impulse in themselves and I'm not I ah, I think Deleuze yeah. is much way more complicated on this front than Barad but that's what I see like it's the it's the assumption that she's completely egalitarian and that her ontology is this like, Ethical thing, without question.
1: But, but I'm wondering if you're not projecting a lot of that stuff, because to me, I always read whether it's Barad or anybody else as a provisional moment of thinking. You're like you're trying to figure out how to do something. Inevitably, your thing's going to be become subject to things that you didn't she, want it to. You know,
2: she, which hedged, she, she hedges here and there, but it, she's pretty forceful about the the ethical. Uh, uh, like um, implications of her project. Well,
0: I'll
1: say, I mean, I'll just say it this way then. For instance, the, the moment in Butler that I just talked about with transgender is one of the, m- for me, more compelling elements of Butler. She has these elements, and these elements are ones in which you don't get a sense of what you're supposed to do. You get mm-hmm. an, an analytic of, you know, heteronormativity but it's not simply the question, it's not simply an issue that that's a bad thing, um, but at the same time, there's plenty of uh, uh, implicit liberatory ethos in right, Butler yeah. as well, and that's For the sure. stuff from which I, I go, no, I, I also get why she does it, I also yeah. get why it's important and necessary, I don't want her not to do it, right. you know, I, I, I don't feel that way, but I also am like, that's where I'm going to not be a, a butlerian, and I'm going to, you know, orient to a different You know a different direction because to me it's a question of like if i can say you know hegel is a symptom i'm saying the next step for me in this case is saying it's a symptom of the problem you know like the big the big problem and so i'm interested in figuring out ways of interrupting that problem what what i perceive to be that problem Mm -hmm. um so that's why i wouldn't want to Although I'll follow it in lots of ways and in lots of places, but I, there is just this sort of sensibility for me that I'm like, that's the thing that needs to be stiff armed. You know, you
2: know,
1: the, the totalizing, y- unifying. Impulsions. I mean, the,
2: the the very slight. Sorry, just real quick. The very slight difference then is that I'm more interested in simply foregrounding that problem. I, I think people need to interrupt it, and I think Deleuze's project. That's that's what he's. That's yeah. the whole thing. How do you interrupt these? Representationalist Some of these Foundations of thinking I am just Right I mean I understand It as a problem But I'm a little More hesitant To I don't know I don't know exactly How to frame it. You want
1: to tell Other people That they're wrong Well Right Because we
2: are We are wrong
1: I mean, we are. You're not, but no, but now you're hypothesizing them being wrong, which is to say, I mean, that's what I'm saying is that at the end of the day, you're just telling other people that they're wrong, and you have made the them being wrong into your correctness. Well, but right, everybody is wrong in every assertion that they make.
2: Right, but if everybody. But if everything's a multiplicity, I mean, that's another just version of. No,
1: no, no! That's completely (laughs) untrue. No, that's where that's no, because the multiplicity then just becomes a question of making another configuration of having a force appropriate, you know, a different kind of force appropriate, whatever that mechanism is. So no, it's not a question of saying that force is inadequate. That force is inadequate. That it's like no, do something else.
0: You, you brought up the anti-Oedipus um, lying uh, like a, a little bit ago. I, I think it's in some ways relevant because the, the way that I understood your concern about we don't have to be anti-Oedipus about everything and then that kind of turned into the, the biopolitical point with Foucault was like, okay, it's not just men or women and we can have 15 different types but they all get hypostatized and they're all subject to these other things as well and it sounded like the critique that you wanted to run there, like, don't think that multiplicity is Going to buy you into something good by getting rid of of the dualism, and I, I completely agree with you. Like, if, if you do that, then yes, you're moralizing multiplicity as simply as simply better. And the way that I always take that anti-Oedipus sort of mandate is that it's not that one must be anti-Oedipus or that one must say like "Hooray, seventeen different things" instead of just Oedipus. It's just that. The adi- like, edible development isn't the only thing, right? That there are other mechanisms by which things are configured. And that doesn't mean – the fact that there are more doesn't mean they're better, right? It just means that they are different and that they allow for different kinds of life,
2: right? And And we're – No, yeah, yeah. I mean, just to be clear, I don't have anything – like, I don't want to engage as if I'm simply against – or like just really confrontational against the, the interrupting capacity of Deleuze or, or people like Foucault. I mean, I love reading their stuff as well. It's just, it doesn't feel like I have anything, it's just not quite my sensibility. I, I, I just feel like I offer something slightly, like the more, it's just a little darker. I, I, I think I have a, a slightly more sinister take. Not that it's like more correct or anything It's just a different take Bullshit I, I, You know what I mean it, Bullshit What?
1: Of course it's that it's I don't, more correct Of course that's the
2: engine you Why want, would you I want assume want to tell
1: other people they're wrong
2: Well I do want to do that But like that doesn't mean they're wrong You know what I mean Like I, I think the critique can be generative I don't know why I don't see why that has to be a stopping point Telling people is, they're wrong Okay
1: but no here's my Here's, here's a real question in in the case of let's say Barad yeah. or, w- or whatever thing,
2: telling them that they're wrong. What let's imagine what does that generate? I'm generating a critique that's uh, my re- my reading of Barad is not out there. I mean, you could see that from the proposal. Nobody's reading Barad like that. I, I mean, okay, good. So it, it
1: so fine. So it generates a career. Okay, what else?
2: <laughs> well, what what else am I supposed to be generating right now? <laughs>
1: new forms of fucking life man that's what we're talking okay. about okay right like that's so here's what that does that completely takes its position in you know uh, obviously like the kind of intellectual trajectory and that's there's not I'm not criticizing that I'm not saying that's a bad thing and we all have pragmatic mm-hmm. concerns and, but I'm just saying like what's the what's the end point other than you get a dissertation you get a book you get whatever, right right
2: you know? i mean i don't know i mean clearly parts of it are just sort of selfish i mean listen that like at the beginning of,
1: nothing wrong with yeah. being so I'm not critiquing yeah. selfishness I'm asking the think. I'm asking in terms of the thinking right like it's not, I, I'm, not no, no. I'm not I'm so yeah, not yeah, yeah. saying you no I know that.
2: I mean I don't know
1: I, I just don't think it goes anywhere I think it stops at the point of uh, uh, wh- whether it's you or somebody else assuming a position right. that is the next in like you are the responder to Zizek and then so and so is the responder to you responding to Zizek right. and then so so it 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 creates, to me, it just creates a tradition or a legacy in a very, very straightforward sense, and it doesn't, what it doesn't do is create different possibilities for thinking. It doesn't do
2: that. Well, I mean, maybe for my, maybe it does sort of hypothesize for myself, but I think even the reaction against that creates something. It's got to create something.
1: Yes, it does. All the things that I'm laying out are things, but they're things that are sort of they are cogs in a machine that already exists. It's not, It's. it doesn't go laterally. It just goes, you know, vertically.
2: Uh, maybe I've just committed to the Barad thing at this point, and that's sort of why I'm, I'm still attaching to that line. But I don't know. I, I do think there is, as a trend, if you could say there are Baradians that are, that are not Barad, that are doing something with a similar sensibility. They're not empiricists, like you said, but they are confident in their propositional content. The style the way they articulate the conceptual stuff and the confidence in the ethical comportment, I think I think those things are ridiculous. Like and I'm not saying that like my way of thinking is th- th- now you should pick mine, <laughs> as opposed to Barad's pick my way of thinking. Now I mean that's completely antithetical to the whole project, which is to say don't hypothesize a position, constantly suspend positions and even that, you don't. there's no guarantee that that leads to something productive or, or ethical. It's just, some, I mean, like maybe I am, you know, uh, doing a version of, of hypothesizing here, but I, I don't know. I, I think that suspension is useful, and it's not a sensibility that I've seen offered in our field, at least. Zizek certainly offers it, but, you know, it's not in rhetoric, really, Well, that raises a really
0: important question and sort of trajectory for the project is that if what you really care about is sort of like demonstrating the danger of the hypothesis, like hypothesizing moment and the danger of the proposition as like a moment of thinking, um, I wonder if that point doesn't get missed if you focus on the specific content of what Barad specifically is wrong about because then people aren't focusing on the structures of thinking that lead to this kind of thing. They're like, ah well Barad was wrong with these particular propositions, so all I need to do is come up with some new ones in order to re ground my faith in this in this orientation.
1: Correctness, but it's it's like it's all driven by a kind of correctness and and trying to I mean that's the thing that's hard
0: to if not impossible, to undermine is, like, but like stop trying to get it done. Right. But it seems you like know, what you care yeah. about isn't... I mean, I like. I mean, other than the fact that it's fun to take Barad down, like I don't want to deny you that pleasure. <laughs> but it seems like, intellectually speaking, what you care about more is thinking about Barad as a particular symptom of thinking, right? And not her or her arguments, uh, um, in particular. So, like, you can still write about Barad and say, like, l- look at the the like. Look, we're gonna. I'm gonna read Barad not as a thinker of correctness, but as a symbol of a particular style of thinking that you know, like produce has these kinds of productions, but but then it could become like yeah. like, but that doesn't make her work totally uninteresting. And what would happen? Like, what would a um, suspension of certainty look like if it were run through the Baradigan machine? And does that produce anything interesting? Now suddenly, Barad becomes both a symptom of
2: this danger that you want right. to demonstrate. And Brad, a way out. And a way out. No, it's just the idea of the internal critique as well. I mean, the goal will be to... Barad has the key to the, her critique in her own language in the conceptual systems. It's just that she doesn't fully uh, I, I t- unravel I totally, some of those implications. Yeah,
1: I, I totally... She's not Derridian enough in that regard. Let, let me let me go because this is the passage that I was going to choose and it's exactly what we're talking about because i i was I was struggling over this passage uh, and this is paragraph twenty nine he's just gone through uh, the individual uh, spirit individual relation uh, that Nathaniel got us to and science sets forth it's it's a couple sentences down but I'll start with science sets forth this formative process so what science does is it it sets out this the pro that sort of the dialectical you know, interiorization, externalization. This formative process in all its detail and necessity, exposing the mature configuration of everything which has already been reduced to a moment and property of spirit. So, spirit's gone, you know, to like point, you know, Y or Z or whatever, and it, it shows you the ABCs along the way. The goal is spirit's insight into what knowing is. Impatience demands the impossible to wit, the attainment of the end without the means, right? We just wanna go right to why, and we don't wanna have to go through the eight ABCs. Um, But that's impatience, and then this is the passage for me that I was like, it's a complication, or maybe it's not, but this is, I think, what we're talking about in some way. But the length of this path has to be endured, because for one thing, each moment is necessary. Fair enough, you couldn't have a Y without an A, B, C, right? And this is the one for me. And further, each moment has to be lingered over because each is itself a complete individual shape and one is only viewed in absolute perspective when its determinateness is regarded as a concrete whole or the whole is regarded as uniquely qualified by that determination. That's the part that really interested me is this issue of the moments have to be lingered over Otherwise, you're, you're just treating them as epiphenomena on your way to Y. But you have to treat them as entities on their own. So this issue of the length of the path has to be traversed, right? You can't just go to, um, you know, point Y without going through your ABCs first. And also that not just do you go ABCD and sing the song, you've got to spend some time on C. And then you've got to spend some time on D. So this issue of, of lingering, that would be another way of thinking about the conversation we're having, because I'm sort of going, why are you fucking lingering? I mean, that's a way of translating what I'm saying. And you're saying, because they have to be lingered over, right? Um, it, or, or maybe I'm saying, like, why are you spending all that time in D when the cool shit's in F? right and you're like well but i i'm working through d and i think most people are fucking working through d and i get that you think that you're at f mr smart boy you know but but most of us are here at d and we need to do d so but that lingering creates a temporal dynamic in the evolution of spirit which i think is interesting right and and it it can complicate the sense of Hegel as the endpoint, or anything as the endpoint, because what would seem like an endpoint might just be lingering in a moment, you know, or the U two song stuck in a moment that you can't get out of, you know. Um, and and in fact, that could very well be the entirety of an individual's intellectual education. Is I live my whole life in D, you know, or in you know one of the steps like spirit. May be it might be at Y, but I'm. I, I'm stuck at D or I'm I'm not stuck at D But just like I'm really lingering It's going to take me 20 years to linger It might take you know Nathaniel Two weeks to linger there um, But so that the temporality Gets shifted when it's Necessary to not simply move Through the points but to live with And spend time with the points As well in order for them to Assume their own unique Individual shape as Now, that that process
0: can get really moralized if you have to take it as a progress because then it's like you are – it's taking you longer or a shorter amount of time to move on to the next step to get to grade two, right? Whereas like, you know, if lingering there for two weeks shoots you off in this direction but lingering there for 20 years shoots you off in that direction, well, then it just becomes – interesting differences in, in directions.
1: See, that diagram is more interesting to me than this one, right? Like, I love the idea of lingering over the points, except for that they are points that have been superseded by Spirit already. Like, that's a given, right? Spirit has superseded CDEF, you know? and but But you, as an individual, have to live through CDEF as well, And so how can you not, how could that not imply a failure, an inadequacy, a stuck in the moment, as opposed to, because I I love the idea of lingering with a, you know, that, for instance, it makes sense to me to say some people live in D. You know, uh, although I'm, the alphabet is always going to seem progressive in that, you know, in the way that I've set it up. But some people li- live in D, and that produces all kinds of interesting offshoots. And, you know, you know, other people live in Y or live in B or whatever, like other places, and, and spend only a you know, vacation in D for a little while or something like that.
2: Right, right. Well, a lot of the, the, the assumption of a lot of the post discourse seems to be that all right representationalism humanism these are the bad things but there's still lingering in the way we engage with the world we still have identity politics we still have you know left versus the right so it's a failure of humanity to surpass some of those modes of thinking and how do we enable the uh, structurally
1: I, I definitely think that way like there is part right. of me that does feel like um, it's a failure on the part of human consciousness that mm-hmm. we need contradictions, um, right. That, right. that we need oppositions, and we need negation as a generative principle. It's a it's a failure. Right. I do. I do. Right.
2: And your your response to that dynamic is to uh, look for opportunities, right? right, and see see for, for interruptions. Right. Um, whereas what I've been posing for the majority of this conversation in the project is the, the lingering thing because like right. you obviously observe as well most people seem to be stuck in D you right. know it's like so even simply foregrounding that which is kind of unacceptable like right. or at least you can't simply say like representationalism is the rule and we just get to stay there right. like right, that's, right, right, right. that's a forbidden yeah, but, right. conceptual ethical thing but simply Reminding everybody that we're still here can, I don't know.
1: There's to me the key difference, because you care about other people. I don't, right? Like, right. I care about the thinking. So in that sense, yeah. it's like, I don't give like, I would fully agree most other people and people in the field are in D, or they're in this kind of, you know, whatever, kind of representative. Right. I don't care about that. Like, that, yeah. that's a fact to me. I mean, I, I, I fully agree. Right, that right. It's a fact to me, and it just it matters only to the extent that it makes it more difficult to do the things that I want to do. But it doesn't matter. Like my interest is not in getting those people further along, or even causing problems for them in their inhabitation of D. Mine is well. I'm an let's say I'm an F. Can I get further than F? Right. Is right, there right. what what would further than F look like? So yeah. I'm beholden in, in his terms. I'm more beholden to spirit's progression, whereas you're more beholden to the individuals who are progressing through spirit in that regard. Right. right? Like, I'm, I'm yeah, more the, Hegelian in that sense. Like, I'm more of, the, by, by that I mean a Hegel, the Hegel figure, like, because I feel like Hegel is more committed to the notion of the spirit's right. development is what matters, not individuals' consciousness. Who right. gives a fuck about individual's consciousness?
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's an important difference between saying again, that like why that why the hell do humans need oppositions and binaries uh, in, in, in order to think, right? Because that's a failure of imagination. I, w- I would say it's a failure of imagination, maybe not so much a failure of thinking, but like there are other ways of doing these things. But then it doesn't seem like the answer would then be, now no one can operate through these things in any given Moment and and oh, yeah. right that. That that they don't produce interesting, valuable, life-affirming things. I mean, I think that they tend to do that when you think that it has to be done that way. It's the only way that can do it. And you posit some kind of of necessary um, dualism there. But, like, when you take the—when you're examining, you know, the contingent binary and saying, like, this is, you know, this is the diagnostic of this thing and I'm going to apply this other binary to it, knowing full— Oh, Wall doesn't have to be a binary. To see where it goes, to see what it does, yeah. right? That yeah. that's, I mean, that to me, if you if you take the non progressive um, view on it, then that's not a stagnation. That's an experimentation right. given a the experimentation, diagnostic of a right. field.
1: Right. That that's that's a that's a different sense of lingering, or maybe not. I mean, maybe that is the sense of lingering. I mean, as he talks about it with the analytical stuff on uh, in thirty. 32, or whatever, yeah, in 32, the analysis, you know, the analysis of an idea as it used to be carried out was, in fact, nothing else than ridding it of the form which it had become familiar, right? In 30, in 30 and 31, the familiar is the problem, like, the familiar... I mean, that, that, that's the first way that, the, that ideas actually come to us. We, yes, we've moved past sort of sense certainty to the realm of ideas, but then we're stuck in representational thinking, right? And representational thinking is familiar, and, and analysis or understanding is the way that we move past representational thinking, right? Reading it of the form in which it had become familiar. To break an idea up into its original elements is to return to its moments, you know, but which, which at least do not have the form of a given idea, but rather constitute the immediate property of the self. This analysis only rises at thoughts which are themselves familiar, fixed, and inert determinations. But what is, is thus separated and non-actual is an essential moment. For it is only because the concrete does divide itself and make it into self, into something self, something non-actual, that it is self-moving. Right. So here you have a really great uh, ex- explication of the Aufhebung, like why, what, what the movement is. The activity of dissolution is the power and work of understanding, the most astonishing power, uh, et etc. et cetera. And this, <clears throat> where it goes on to this issue of death, right? Like, that thinking, in order for it to be real thinking, has to endure death, right? It has to endure the, the death uh, constantly. So death, if that's what we want to call this non-actuality, is all things the most dreadful, and to hold fast to what is dead requires the greatest strength. Lacking strength, beauty, Hates the understanding. So again, he's, he there is responding to this sort of traditional aesthetic versus the now, you know, aestheticism versus criticism. You know, um, beauty hates the understanding for asking over what it cannot do. But the life of the spirit is not the life that shrinks from death and keeps itself untouched by devastation, but rather the life that endures it and maintains itself in it. It wins its truth only when, in utter dismemberment, it finds itself. Right, so so in, in that sense, that's the, and we're leading right into the Zizek title, right? Spirit is the power of looking the negative in the face and tearing with it. That's, that's what the subject is,
0: tearing with the negative. But so tear so like tearing and lingering, right, right. right. Like, I mean, like connect those a little right. bit more, and and think of it not as a, like a gotten stuck upon right. the progress, but like I mean, I think think of it in terms of rumination, yeah. Yeah. right. I mean, rumination isn't getting That's stuck, right. but it's a mechanism by which the familiar is made unfamiliar, not by sort of like the extensive movement of you know skipping across the surface, but of the intensive movement of sticking with tearing with ruminating over lingering with, you know, a particular dynamic in order to make like, what happens when binaries really stop to function like binaries?
1: Yeah, I I, I like that. I mean, if you can separate it from the ontological claim, I I like that, right? Like, so yeah, you know, where you are, experiment, try it, see, see what else happens. But it's not a question of, at least in my thinking, it's not a question of moving to, moving yourself or anyone else to a higher position. Right? or to the next step, or, or to the next... It's not the way of p- progress, right? It is just, you know, in that sense, tearing and, uh, you know, and uh, or tearing and lingering are just sort of modes of action, right? I mean, they are... Um, and in fact, it, it, it would seem to me that tearing and lingering would be quite counter to the progressive, appropriative operation, you know, the, the world historical uh, moment, like, if I'm spirit, I'd be pissed off if people are tarrying, right? I would want, wouldn't you, right? Like, wouldn't you, you want, like, damn it, enough with the fucking
0: tarrying thing, let's, let's move on to, to Z. Let's spatialize this for a second and think about movement in a few different senses. That like, if, like, it seems like the kind of movement you have on the flat plane, John, you like, you know, like, I move from, here, or I, thinking has moved from here to here and then it propels me to here and then it propels me over here. And you're know, Not a progress, not a line, but like, here to here to here to here to here to here, the whole thing is remade in the course of the movement. And it seems like the kind of movement that nates makes after is, I'm going to stick here, I'm going to tear here, I'm going to become a gravitational force that makes other stuff bend to me. And that's not that like that creates movement that remakes I, the, I like, the land. I agree. So I, I have to
1: take back. I mean, I, I went to that example because I felt like it critiqued what I was saying. So that's why I wanted. To so <laughs> so yeah. I, mean, I, I noticed I, the, that. I, I have to take back then, like, the sort of yeah, it doesn't yeah. make anything, you know. I mean, I think there was that risk.
0: There's absolutely, I think, that risk because if the goal is to do nothing more than, say, it's wrong and the, and what that provokes is the search for the new correctness, then I think you're right. That's a reproduction of the same, right? But I'm just saying that that moment, that movement, I, I don't think that it's limited to just being able to do that. Although I would say that that risk to me, just given the discomfort of people – being told that they're wrong about this thing, I think their their first panicked instinct is going to be like, give me my certainty back, give me my certainty back, I'll fight, if you, you show me I can't have it here, I'll take it somewhere else.